I'm just going with the flow. So you're listening to Three Wise Truck Guys from Key Advisors. Yeah, I'm Keith Ely. Happy New Year to you. Hello, Keith. Hello, John. Hey, uh, good morning, Keith, Mark, and more importantly, uh, uh, good good morning and happy New Year to our audience. We're uh, thrilled that you're back with us for another session of Three Wise truck guys. Do you guys have a good holiday time frame off? I'm sure, Mark, you spent like three weeks doing nothing. Uh, well, nothing in your <laughs> estimation. Uh, I, but I did get to spoil the grandkids and uh, my wife bought them too many presents. Outstanding. And we had a great time. So. John, how about you? Great uh, great holiday season, Keith. Thanks for asking. By the way, it's, uh, it's uh, 68 degrees in Fort Worth, Texas this morning, and you're talking to a wise truck guy that's Really happy he's not in Chicago. <laughs> Had a great holiday. Hope you did too. Yeah, I I did, and we're sitting in Lawrence, Kansas, waiting on uh, six plus inches of snow today. Hey, we've got a lot of feedback, fellas, from uh, from our last podcast where we were talking about the 2020 forecast. In particular, there were some questions that came back to us regarding fixed ops. We'll spend today talking about. Uh, about service and some of the things that that are going on in service and more importantly how do we go about addressing the service challenges and the the impacts that we're able to have on a on a service department the manufacturers are really putting a push on this throughput time uh dwell time downtime uptime all around time whatever you call it that are putting a real push on this uh with the dealers um and, and I know we're, we're working with some of the manufacturers on measuring this. Mark, can you speak to just what the impact is of throughput, you know, driving down the downtime, um, increasing the uptime in the service facility, what the impact that has on the service department, on the dealership, on the customer? Can you give some, some uh, background and some observations on that? Uh, yeah, I'll give it a shot. Okay. Uh, you know, the OEMs uh, have programs like uh, Mac Volvo's Certified Uptime Process or, or Freightline's Elite Support Process and, and, and so forth. Every OEM has a initiative right now. From the OEM perspective, okay, they believe that if they can shorten the downtime on the truck, that they'll sell more trucks. And if they sell more trucks, that's more service business, uh, in particularly for the OEM, it's more parts business as well. And uh, uh, certainly that's, uh, that's their biggest initiative. From a dealership standpoint, okay, it means more throughput, means the capacity to produce more work. And more work means more gross profit if we do that. Uh, profitably if we do it uh, efficiently and so forth and more part sales because for every dollar of labor we produce we're, we're selling another dollar in parts so there's benefits for everybody from the customer standpoint it comes right back to the downtime if they have less downtime and we communicate better with them with the downtime so they can plan their business they're much happier and much more likely to keep doing business with the OEM and or the dealership that they brought the truck into you know, as as a industry, over the last few years, uh, uh, we've done a, done a bad job. I looked at a recent survey online that said over fifty percent, over fifty percent of of respondents uh, regarding service department 
their their service department experience greatly influenced their likelihood of buying another truck from that dealership okay and another 36 percent said they were somewhat influenced so service department is very very important in selling trucks and selling trucks is important to service and it's that that uh, wonderful circle of business so even though truck sales will be down from the last few years the real advantage is how do we how do we take care of all those customers service needs and and build our capacity we all know how hard it is to find and hire technicians to be able to build our capacity it's much more profitable for doing it with our current staff yeah you know keith but before i address the question there's a there's one interesting thing to me a, a guy that's been around this business 35 years and Keith you know my background is CPA and MBA and finance so when it comes to to planning in the downturn um, you know my personal bias is always towards uh, you know kind of a very draconian cost let's take a look at our costs and understand our cost perspective as I looked at these questions that came in from the last podcast I think the thing that was most interesting for me was how strategic uh, right. the, the, the questions right. were you know the tenor of the day the tenor of the questions, wasn't so much on cost cutting, it was on how do we expand operations and, and how do we grow our parts and service business to mitigate the impact of lower revenues uh, on, on the variable operation side. So that was really, uh, really intriguing to me. And, and it was almost uh, that same flavor uh, throughout all the questions. So it was kind of gratifying to see, and maybe partly the consolidation of the industry, right? The guys that are left today are larger, big players that do tend to be more strategic and think about the business cycle perhaps a little differently than we have in the past. So uh, look, the second point that I'd like to make towards your question, throughput and throughput capacity, and Mark certainly uh, certainly touched on this really, really well, but uh, but obviously, you know, as you, as you grow your, your fixed upside of your business, it just creates lots of cost and margin opportunities on the other side of the business. But, but most of our clients that are listening to this podcast today, you know, they think about throughput because they've got really, if you will, their arm twisted halfway up behind the back. The OEMs are interested in trying to figure out how to make more opportunities to take care of these large, powerful fleet customers and have those those customers that are transient for most most of uh, most of the clients listening to this podcast get their trucks through the shop faster. To me, as a used truck guy, the real win in this whole equation is uh, you know if, if we can if we can improve throughput capacity, we have an opportunity to work on more trucks, and perhaps those trucks won't be the major fleet customers that are coming through uh, through our market and then moving on, but uh, perhaps to some of our smaller, more fragmented, and more service dependent clients that we can. Uh, that we can also uh, have improved price positions on. So to me, when we talk about throughput capacity, that's the real opportunity. How do we how do we get the guys that aren't loyal to us and loyal to our dealership through the shop, satisfy the OEM and their client so that we can serve the remainder of our client base and our local markets more effectively? That's the opportunity. And that was really kind of the way I, I saw most of the dealers looking at this upcoming downturn that we're all going to be wrestling with here for a little bit. Yeah, and I think I think that's the idea of the strategy, the strategic positioning of the service department. It's it's an interesting dynamic. It's not a not a matter of cost cutting, but it's it's revenue enhancement, and that's uh, that's that's a that's a big flip from from how people have looked at this stuff in the past. Now, I, I look at uh, <clears throat> I've got up on the screen right now the ATD Insider that came out. 
think it's this week's that came out. Um, look at the date on it. Uh, so it was two days ago, Wednesday's ATD Insider. And one of the, one of the links that they have, a couple of them are the truck parts and service talking about one of the, one of the uh, titles is As a Sunset on what was a boom time for heavy truck sales, dealerships adjust. The other one talks about addressing the performance of their parts and service departments. So this is a, I, I think we all know this. ATD certainly knows it and is presenting it. Um, I think one of the questions that we, one of the big questions that, that came back to us was, in addition to just the strategic overview of this, was, hey, tell us a little bit about uh What's the impact of doing this on my dealership? Financially, what's the impact of, of doing this on my dealership? I had Amber pull some numbers of the of return on investment that we've done on some of these comprehensive interventions. And, you know, Mark, these are big-time intensive, labor-intensive projects for us and for the dealer. Um, I, I don't know. They're probably a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, I'm guessing. That we end up billing them somewhere in that range per ship. It can be. That's that's a fact. Okay. You know, I, and her, she told me the average that we're at right now is is somewhere over eight hundred percent annually on our return on investment. The best one that we've had is fifteen. It's over fifteen hundred percent on an annual basis. <clears throat> you know, and that, and you extrapolate those numbers, and uh, gosh, that's a that's a huge amount of, of improvement. Um, what 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 does it take to get there? I guess that's you know the, the question was twofold. What's the impact and what's it take to get that done? You know, to start with uh, kind of the process that we always follow from a high level is first of all to plan what, and and set those objectives and goals of where we want to go to. And before we try and and change, once we've developed that plan, uh, is it's then to build the structure within the dealership, whether that's technology, process, occasionally brick and mortar, uh, special tools, equipment, and so forth, but build the structure uh, in our DMS system and so forth to make it as easy as possible for our frontline people to execute efficiently on a daily basis, then train, then implement. And there's a long list of things that you have to, you have to do to get there. But the bottom line is, uh, whether whether it's from the OEA, OEM point of view to try and drive down downtime, or it's from the uh, dealership view to try and, and increase throughput, increasing throughput makes you money and makes customers happy if you're doing it in a shorter amount of time. So looking at how do I cut back uh, the time it takes to do a uh, a typical repair, which 80, over 80% of the repairs are four hours or less, yet we're holding the truck for an average of three days on those repairs, is critical to increasing my throughput with the same number of techs I have right now. In that same study that I referenced before, okay, franchise truck dealers are only getting about one-third of the repair orders, whether they're internal with a fleet or, or, or customer or external to a to a, another repair shop of the work done. And that typically is the the hard work, the diagnostic work, the captive work that comes to the dealership. So focusing on the other things, the maintenance work that a dealership needs can really have an impact if you're only getting a third 
of the amount of uh, work being done to these trucks. Why, why don't they get maintenance work? You know, I, I, I think the, the perception and in some cases reality that dealerships are overpriced on the maintenance work. Uh, uh, they tend to tout that, that door rate and and the thinking uh, in many cases is if, if demand exceeds capacity, which in most cases that's the case, okay, why would I discount anything? Okay, but it sets a perception to the customer that we're overpriced on everything when we're overpriced on a PM or or uh, a loop service or something, okay, or brake job. Uh, and, and I think our ability to hone our processes to turn that work quick is just as important. Uh, I can get a brake job done or a PM done in a lot of places, independent shops, uh, mass merchandisers, truck shops, and so forth, okay. Uh, or I may have my own people doing it because of the downtime it takes a dealership to process that job through their shop okay and we can help them with that and we can streamline that process to where you can compete and those jobs bring customer loyalty sell trucks sell more parts and continues to bring the big jobs i'm not saying we want less of the big jobs i think we need to supplement that with the maintenance work that's available out there to us bottom line is franchise dealers start with 100% of the customer base. Bottom line is we're getting less than a third of the repair orders after that, after we sold the truck as an industry. Yeah, you know, uh, so so Marcus talked a lot about a lot, uh, some really great points there, but initially at the very beginning of this podcast, uh, he made the point that, you know, maybe new truck registrations and new truck purchases in 2020 is going to go down a little bit. But, you know, if you go out there and, and you look at the industry, the total population of trucks that are going to require repairs is uh, is going up. So, right. So there's one very favorable trend. You know, overall population of vehicles that need repairs is increasing. I think that the second trend that's in our favor is the number of people that can perform those repairs. The other two thirds, if you will, referencing back to Mark's comment, is getting uh, is getting smaller. Right. The, the the complexity of the product legislation, work rule regulations, and all these, all, all are conspiring to make it, uh, the, the market, the, the dealer opportunity to compete in this market uh, more friendly all the time. So when you think about those two trends and how they're driving customers to the OEM dealer locations, you know, I think the, the number one issue that dealers have to keep, keep be concerned with is resources. The the, uh, the technician shortage gets a little lost in this 2020 conversation, and growing and increasing the capability of your service management staff so that when customers do give when they do come to your dealership and they do give you a shot, the likelihood that they're going to have a favorable service experience goes up. So that that would be my the the world is spinning in our direction. It's going to be very favorable to us strategically. We need to be thinking about continuing to grow our, our technician base and continuing to prove our processes and the capability of our service management staff so that we can we can provide good customer experiences when they do give us a chance at our dealership. I'm amazed at, at some, of the, some of the observations we make and and also the the basic work that we that we engage in when we're at the dealership in the service department and there's no magic bullet in any of this. And I know that our customers that we deal with when we're doing these uh, comprehensive interventions, you know, that are generating two, three, four million dollars of improvement 
of, of increase in gross profit, increase in net profit in their departments year over year, and it's sustainable, um, you know, that, that those customers are not broke when we get there. They're pretty good, pretty good dealerships. In fact, they're really good. But the fact that there's still so much opportunity there, and I think that, that uh, the one thing that astounds me as I, as I visit with, with our team about when they're out on site is some of the basic things that we do. And it's the first one being, Mark, you talk about being hours and rate. And, you know, just hours times rate brings this improvement. It sounds simple, but gosh, you guys start talking about just getting a tech to punch correctly, getting the punches to mean something so you can manage to it. That whole hours and rate discussion, the basics of it, and what you guys start with, what the what our team starts with when they're engaged in this is just, it's somewhat, uh, not overwhelming, but it's somewhat uh eye-opening to me when you guys tell me about this you know keith you said uh, uh, that most of these stores are profitable in some cases very profitable but the opportunity is still tremendous and that goes to the root of the problem it's uh we, most service managers uh base their that their training came from before they were a service manager working for a service manager. And it's kind of, you know, we've always done it this way and it kind of progresses from manager to manager as uh, people retire or move on and so forth. And, and uh, the basics are your inventory and service department is how many techs you have and how many hours they're in it, they're attending uh, for any given time period, whether it's a day, a week, a month, or a year, and so forth, okay? And what percentage of that can you convert to sold hours, okay? And uh, so managing an inventory, which I know you spend a lot of time uh, teaching managing parts inventory, it's not a whole lot different on the service side, okay? Identifying what we have and, and uh, where it's going is why the punch times, accurate punch times are so important. And then once we see that data, converting it to production time, uh, trying to minimize the waste in our process or the, or the waste in our department. So that gets into a lot of little things, none of which is, is rocket science by any means, but managing the tech time, keeping them in its bay, working on a truck, uh, what I brought up about the maintenance business before also plays a huge part. You take your best tech and give them nothing but the hard stuff, the captive work that we talked about when the truck is broken and needs diagnosis. It's a whole lot harder to make time. Your best tech can make time, but the rest of them probably won't. Okay, and yet if you could take that best tech and put them on maintenance work, he'll give you close to two to one. So mixing that amount of work in your shop not at the expense of the repair work. We're good at it. We want it, but it's critical to your overall throughput by having by having a, a mix of work. And also, if I do have to hire techs, if demand does exceed capacity in my shop, and I need to hire techs, it's a little bit easier to hire techs to do maintenance work uh, than it is to hire techs to do the repair type work. So it, it's a it's a lot of basics. At the end of the day, what goes on the top of your financial statement in the sales column is how many hours did you bill and at what rate did you bill? So, so you know, how does this, how does this impact the, uh, this whole thing that John brought up about, about the, the tech 
shortage, which I think we all know it is, but it, do, do we suffer from tech shortages at our customers, at the, at the dealers we go to? I, I, I think we suffer from tech shortage, okay, uh, if not in numbers, for sure in experience, the experience of tech shortage. I think that that we can hire techs. It's hard to hire techs, uh, but we can hire entry-level techs. Uh, I think as a industry overall, we do a bad job or a less than desirable job of onboarding them and retaining them and keeping them. We invest a lot of money in training them, whether it's formal training or working with another tech uh, in the shop and so forth. Uh, but but we end up not retaining them because they don't see a career path. They're not involved in the business. They're not getting feedback on their progress. Uh, a whole lot of a whole lot of reasons. Okay. Uh, again. It, 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 there, yes, there is a shortage of techs, okay? Uh, but if you look at how many hours you're buying from the techs, or in the case of a flat rate shop, uh, how many hours the techs are in attendance versus the hours that you sold or produced, okay, for that same time frame, there's always a gap. In most cases, a pretty significant gap there. So before I would worry about hiring more techs, I'd try and close that gap to produce a higher percentage of those hours. And that goes back to what I was talking about before, is refined processes, a well-organized shop, uh, uh, measurements that tell me when something is out of order, okay, uh, just just a whole lot of little things. Parts department plays a huge part in that, okay, but trying to eliminate the waste in your process. If, if I've got 10 techs and, and uh, uh, they work eight hours a day, that's 80 hours, and I'm only selling 60. Let's figure out how to get, how to produce that other 20 or a big portion of it before I go hire another tech. Keith, I agree with uh, Mark, you know, to maybe to say what he said just a little differently. I think, I think every one of our clients is different. I think every one of our clients probably needs technicians though, but they don't need as many as they think they need because they're not getting the productivity out of their existing staff that, that they should be. And that's uh, certainly a, a, a big thing that we find in almost every engagement. So I, I think Mark is exactly right. They could all use more techs, a better process to bring them in and, and develop loyalty is, uh, is really an important thing for, for everybody to be thinking about. But, but they probably don't need as many techs as they think they could if, if, if they could manage their existing ones a little bit more effectively. Hey, you know, so you're talking about tech time and the idea that, uh, that we may not need as many techs as we need. I hear this all the time from dealer principals when I sit down and visit with them. We can't find techs. We can't. We can't get our work flow done. We can't get our shop running at at the dollars it should be. So help me help me bridge this gap here between what you guys are talking about in terms of hours. You know, getting more hours produced, and the dealer saying, "Hey, I, I need more. I need more techs." So, Keith, it's a whole lot of basics, okay? As I said before, I want to sell all the time I'm buying or all the time I'm requiring my technicians to be there in the case of a flat rate shop. Uh, some, of the, some of the obstacles up front of getting accurate punch time from the techs are not the tech's fault. For instance, if I have a dealership that has two systems, one to track payroll hours and using the DMS to punch in and out of repair orders and billing and so forth. Okay, somebody needs to reconcile those times daily. There's many times I see tech coming in 
punching in on the payroll clock and then going to the locker room and changing into his uniform or or management doesn't have a job ready for him in its bay and so forth before we can get it dispatched and no one reconciles that till he punches in on the DMS system. The other things that I see that aren't a text fault is the lines aren't there on the repair order or the communication wasn't there for him to know which lines to punch in. The time between jobs were not prepared to have another job staged for him uh, and in its in its rack or, or workflow to him on a decisive product or whatever the, the method is of dispatching. Obviously, the right job to the right tech plays a part in that as well. Not getting the tech ownership of the time we've sold. If we've sold three hours, letting the tech know that we've sold three hours in this job and ask him if he can commit to having it done in three hours. If he says yes, that's great. If he says no, that's a conversation you want to have because why are we selling it for three hours if you can't do it in three hours and so forth. So before I ask the techs again to physically punch correctly and punch on the right line correctly and so forth, we need that structure built from a management standpoint to, to give the tech what he needs to, to do that. One of the other one of the other comments, questions that we've got has been along the lines of, of this idea of a process or workflow. Um, you know, is there is there a right process, a right workflow to to ins- to install into a dealership? A- absolutely. And and when I was talking earlier about set your plan first, having a standard process uh, that that's built by your people, not management top down. After some prep work, steering them in the right. Hey, Mark, do you do you have you have one of those we could sell to them? No. I have plenty of them. I have hundreds of them on my, on my, I've been doing this for 30 years. Okay. And I keep everything, but no, I won't sell it to them because the, their people have to develop it. Otherwise there's no buy-in. If it's pushed out to them, they're going to prove to you that it won't work here because things are different here in Birmingham, Alabama, or different here in Lawrence, Kansas, or different here in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, that's not necessarily the case. Okay. But, they will try, they will try and sabotage it to prove to you that it won't work. So it has to be their idea. So I can provide you with the tools and 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 the workshop to lead them to the water, and they'll write the right SOP process if you take the time to do that. So tell tell us about workflow. I mean, why is it important? I mean, ideally, what you're striving for is to minimize waste. So if you if you were to look at a particular job and just track from the time the truck rolls on your lot to the time it rolls off, where was all that time spent? Okay, and the biggest four areas of waste in a shop are, first of all, the organization of shop. Do I have a bay to pull it in? Is the equipment or special tools I needed, need to work on this truck accessible or do I have to run around and see who used them last? Okay, the when you assign me the job, how long does it take me to find it in the parking lot? How long does it take me to find the keys? If it's blocked in by another truck, how long does it take me to find the keys for that truck? Because the name on the side of the truck may not be the name on the repair order and so forth. Once it's in the shop and I've diagnosed it, okay, how long does it take me to get parts? Do we have parts in stock? Uh, the parts department has to go to six different places to pull the parts I need. I'm dead in the water. I'm not producing any time uh, while that's happening. If a tool truck pulls in, 
how much time am I out in the tool truck that's not measured because I don't punch off the job to go out to the tool truck or the lunch truck or, or whatever the case may be. And, and then finally, okay, the actual production or, or throughput is predicated on internal communications, on technicians having the knowledge, having the decisions made before it was dispatched whenever possible so that he doesn't have to stop to ask questions or wait for data that he needs to do the truck. Obviously, there's a whole lot more, but those are the four biggest reasons. Bottom line is, how can you keep a tech in his bay with a truck in front of him and a wrench in his hand and, and try and eliminate everything else? Then you'll increase your capacity. And if he's paid on any kind of an incentive, he'll make more money, so he'll want to do it. If nothing else, your reports will show him as a, a better performer, and he'll be happy about that. Yeah. So, you know, I, this morning I got an email from one of our customers. The attachment is a service repair process. His question was, what do you think of this? It's 57 pages long. And, his, and, his, and the reason he asked is, is they can't get it to stick. The date on it is, is uh, September of 2018. They can't get it to stick. You know, Keith, that's exactly what I was talking about. If you try and push the process down, they're going to go, that, that's human nature, okay? And we've talked a little bit about uh, leadership and change management in the past on these podcasts. It's got to be their idea to do it. They've got to have input in building it, and that's why I won't sell anybody the processes I have on, on my computer. They're based on best practices, and there should be a information sharing piece before you build your process to enlighten them so they know what's possible, but they need to build a process. Hey, Keith, uh, you know, one of the things that Mark talked about was workflow. And I know when our clients and our dealers think about process improvement, that's exactly what they think about is how, how do I make sure that I'm getting the maximum productivity for the hours that I'm buying for my service staff and, and make that as, as, as uh, profitable for my dealership as possible. But but the other word that he mentioned, and I think what the real opportunity for a lot of dealers in 2020 is, is to improve their communication process. Um, we've seen some great examples of dealers that are really outstanding in terms of how they communicate with their customers, you know, interruptions in the job, new things they found in the job. We, we talk about why we only get a third of the service space. And I'm sure that there's the perceptual issue that Mike talked about, too, but but I think the real opportunity for dealers in 2020 is to figure out our communication processes and how do we communicate more effectively with our customers so that they have a better experience with us. And again, there's plenty of examples of dealers out there that do this really well, but, but regrettably, they're kind of few and far between. So, you know, from my perspective, absolutely have to be efficient and productive in the shop. But the, the biggest opportunity for a lot of our clients and a lot of people listening to this call today is how do we communicate with our customers more effectively so that when we do good service work, perform the, the procedure on time, on budget, they still may be irritated if we didn't communicate more eff effectively. John, you're, 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 you're absolutely right. The number one complaint from customers, and has been as long as I've been around, and you both know how old I am, old. is, it, yeah, I'm, I, I, there's no, but there's no status update. And when I call the dealership, it, it sounds like they lost my truck because they have so many open repair orders. And unless it's a repair order I just touched, I got to go find the repair order first and so forth. Okay, internal communications to your point, drive external communications. 
and and in that study I was referring to, which was done by an OEM some years ago, that the biggest area of waste, more than the other three put together, was just that internal communications. All right, it was estimated over an hour per repair order was lost on internal communications. Now think about that. How many repair orders did did any get given dealership write uh, annually times their effective labor rate uh, times an hour per repair order? All right, it's a whole lot of money. How can I minimize that? Yeah, and it's about process. It's about standards. It's about discipline. It's about about making it their idea to get them to execute once you have a plan. Uh, it, it's basic, so, but but you've got to change behaviors, and that that's tough sometimes. Okay. So Mark, I was going to say that internal communication optimizes efficiency, but it's that external communication and how you interface with your customer that ensures how you're going to perform on the next RO. Okay, because because if we don't communicate. And both are opportunities for 2020 to get much, much better at. Absolutely. And and there's products out there that can help you do that today. In the past, we had to walk the shop and talk to people or call them uh, or page them on a phone, okay, and so forth. Today, if you're using a product like Decisive, which most OEMs have integrated in their, in their process, okay, and use it effectively, that is so much easier to be able to, I don't need the repair order anymore. If all the notes of everything from parts and service and customers are in one place to look at, I can sound like I'm only managing your truck when you call for status. And better yet, I can proactively contact you before you call me to update you on any changes in status or just to update you that the parts are here and so forth. Or better yet, I can just email or text you with this new technology. So, again, the structure to make it easy for my frontline people to take care of customers requires that maybe I have a piece of technology like Decisive and I have everybody inputting the data there so that we all look smarter. And if we all look smarter, the customer will see that. And by the way, it'll increase my throughput. The mission of Key Advisors is to increase profit for our commercial dealership clients by transforming their businesses and their business operations to best in class. We do this with a variety of services, with advisory, education programs, and business intelligence. Hey, this is John Whitnow with Key Advisors. We uh, have spent a lot of time working with our clients over the last few years trying to help them understand the drivers of profitability in the used truck business. Our 2020 used truck forecast that includes a summary document to briefly help you understand what's going on in the market and a deep dive into each of the four drivers of, of uh, the used truck market is available for sale through key advisors on our website. Go to our website and see the landing page. You know, we, we've talked about time and hours. Uh, we've talked about workflow, communication. You know, the, the other pushback that we get, and again, I think we see that it's somewhat self-inflicted, but is this idea of rate. You know, the, can, can we get a rate that's higher than what we're, what we're getting right now? Well, this, discounting is rampant in service departments, okay? Uh, and, and there's a lot, of, a lot of reasons, okay? Many times, it, it starts with many times, even your frontline employees don't believe you're worth what your door rate is. And they're they're taught, or because it's always been that way, to quote that door rate immediately. Okay, 
So let's talk about some of the discounts. First of all, there's discounts for competitive specials. Those I believe in, they should be there, but they should be consistent. They should be easy to quote for a PM or a brake job and so forth that include parts, labor, shop supply, taxes. It's it's five ninety nine ninety five. This is what it includes and talk about benefits. Then we have a door rate, which most dealerships charge everything else at the door rate. Some have a tiered rate that goes up with certain operations. The more technical training we need to do the job, the more equipment or, or, or technology we need to do the job, possibly the rates higher, which can drive up my effective labor rate. Then we have fleet discounts or special customer discounts or discounts to somebody that's buying a lot of parts from us or discounts to a customer because he's buying a lot of trucks from us and so forth, okay? Uh, we, we can't overcome all of those, but there needs to be a method uh, to, to how those discounts are given and, and how much should be given for what. There needs to be some measurements there. But the biggest area of discounts is negotiating without a hostage. You've heard me say that before, okay? And that is, I didn't give a good estimate or I gave an original estimate, but I didn't keep it up to date as things changed with the job. The job was here too long or, or it wasn't, but we had to wait for parts or whatever the case may be. I get to the end of the job I'm not sure what the customer is expecting from a price standpoint because it wasn't kept live. And to John's point, we didn't do a good job with the external communications. The tech charged on an extra part that I wasn't aware of, or he had to uh, extract a broken stud, or there was some sort of body equipment in the way and so forth, and we lost time. And at the end of the job, in order to, to keep the customer happy, we're negotiating price or we just give up price because we know this customer will negotiate. In many cases, he'll still negotiate because he wasn't kept up. That erodes your effective labor rate. Remember what I said, the only thing that hits the top of your statement is how many hours did you bill, not how many hours it took to do it, but how many hours did you bill and at what rate. And discounting, if you can fix that, think about this, if you got a $10 gain in your effective labor rate, and most dealers are off more than that, for every hour you produce for any given time, that money drops straight to the bottom line without writing another repair order or producing another tenth of time in your shop. You know, uh, my perspective on this is a little different than Mark. His experience is, uh, is kind of legendary. I come from the OEM side, so I, my two cents on this for whatever it's worth is, you know, your door rate is submitted to the OEM for for approval because it's what you use to charge your warranty work and your warranty repair set. And uh, and that's really important. The OEMs approve it because they make you go through a process, right? So so to be discounting when you've had to prove that your door rate is competitive in the marketplace where you exist uh, really strikes me as, as a bad idea. But, you know, there's a complication on the backside of that too that uh, our clients just need to be made aware of. And that's once you start discounting your labor rate, you've opened up uh, some exposure with your OEM on what you're charging them for, for warranty repairs, right? So, you know, in a great game of life, you get what you pay for. And uh, your door rate is competitive. It's been proven to be competitive. Discounting off of that, unless there's unusual circumstances, many of which Mark kind of touched on just a little bit earlier, it's not a good idea. John, I, I, I agree with you so much. You're, you're, number one, you're devaluating your service. Okay, your door rate was set based on a market 
based on your market to justify that warranty rate. On top of that, OEMs are starting, I won't cite which ones, but they're starting to enforce that long time rule in the dealer agreement and taking money back if your effective labor rate is lower than your warranty rate. Uh, so that, that should be a motivator for everybody. But to keep your rates high. That's right. Okay. And not high, but competitive in my market. I can choose to be the highest if I'm doing a better job than everybody else. Okay. Quoting total job price, taking it out of the conversation, it's, it's, it's critical to managing something like tiered labor rates. Okay. But customers buy for a combination of four things, probably more than that, but four basic things, the quality, the convenience of your location, the amount of customer service that you offer and price. Unfortunately, most service advisors, if you stand there listening price. to them, only talk about one of those four. What is it? Price. Price. Okay, so they think everything's driven by price. When customer pushes back on price, you haven't done your job talking about the other three or the benefits of doing business here at Mark's Truck Center or whatever the case may be. And and we do, a, as an industry, we do a lousy job of selling benefits. That's true for used trucks too, Mark. Yeah, I'm sure it is, John. I'm sure that as a used truck manager, you probably get more than a little upset when you don't know the rate from the service department. Well, you know, to be candid, uh, most of the disputes between the used truck department and the uh, and the service shop, the, the price equation is off the table, Keith. So now it, just, it becomes a question of focusing on those other three, the convenience, the, the hitting and honoring your time commitments, right? I've, I've got a used truck and I want to get it out to the front line so I can start to market it, right? And and my job keeps getting yeah, you can't sell it yeah. if you don't get yeah, it out there. That's exactly yeah. right. So that's on the used truck side and how you interface with your internal customers. The, the price sort of falls off the table, and it's the other variables that become a little bit more important in terms of satisfying your internal customers. You talk to some used truck managers, and it's it's because the service department's way too high. They charge me way too much. I can't sell a truck because of that. So yeah, that can be overcome uh, fairly fairly easily, uh, at least by the uh, managing partner or the dealer if he wants it to. And and every study we won't we don't need to go into that today probably, but every study shows the the corporation or the dealer makes more money if the, the actually the higher the price is. But to me, when you really dig down, most used truck managers that I've dealt with and dealers that I've dealt with to john's point want that truck out in the front line okay and and giving them priority okay and getting it out in the front line because they do give you significant business in most cases it's more critical than price hey keith uh, i don't want to turn this into a used truck conversation we ought to probably keep our focus here but uh, as long as mark has opened up the door for me for a commercial i would say that uh, you know we we spend a lot of time in the fourth quarter of every year pulling together our industry forecast for the used truck market for the upcoming year and uh, our 2020 used truck industry forecast has been completed and distributed to, to our clients. Uh, maybe that's a whole other podcast for next month that uh, we can be considering. Well, I'd really like that. Then you could talk more than me for a change. Hey, I've got, I've got, <laughs> I've got two more questions for you guys, and uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put in my 10 cents worth as well. Um, the first one is, and I'll, I'll tell you the questions, and then I'm gonna let you address them. The first one is, if you were to give a dealer, a service manager, the number one thing to focus on 
addressing to improve the service department's performance, what would that number one thing be? Forget about anything else, just number one thing. And then also the number one um, roadblock or uh, obstacle that you run into that needs to be overcome to address and and improve a service department. So first one is the number one thing that they should focus on to try and address and fix. And then the other question is the number one thing that could cause them an obstacle, a roadblock, something that won't, that, that's going to be a challenge in improving the service department. Well, you know, Keith, I think the number one thing that I'd be focused on if I was a service manager today is my team people. And uh, you, you can never be satisfied. You always have to be uh, challenging yourself in terms of, have we got the right people on the bus and the right chairs on the bus? So, you know, my number one concern uh, starting at first quarter 2020, if I was a service manager that I'd be focused on is uh, I'd be doing a really critical assessment of my team. Looking at it from a little bit different angle here, okay, uh, if I assume I have the right team, the number one thing is my inventory. My inventory, as I've said, it's number of techs times the hours that they're in attendance. And what percentage of that am I billing? That's the biggest area of waste I see time in and time out. Focus on the time. Of course, you can't do it without the people, to John's point. What's your number one obstacle, John? Complacency. Um, you know, we get so comfortable kind of doing things the same way and change becomes, uh, especially as the focus and the profitability of the service department in, uh, in 2020 becomes so, so much more important to most of our clients, the likelihood that you're willing to challenge your processes and make a process management change, you get, you get complacent. I think that would be my number one uh, issue that I'd be looking for for 2020, not get complacent. How do I never be satisfied and continue to try and drive inch by inch continuous improvement? Yeah, and, and looking at it from a tactical standpoint, because I think that's very strategic, but looking at it from a tactical standpoint, uh, to me, the number the number one obstacle is lack of structure, okay? And, and the structure we're good at as an industry, or many dealers and, and managers are good at knowing something has to change, looking at numbers or looking at metrics, and going out and ordering that done, Okay, but not changing the structure to make make it easier for people to do that. And that might be a better implementation of decisive into my process or, or better implementation with my DMS system to make it easy or something that's huge on my radar as a set of consistent in-house operation codes versus asking Bubba, how much time should I charge to replace this widget? I think, I think just to... <clears throat> add on to that i think it's kind of a combination of both for me but i think it's commitment um fixing something is really difficult especially when you've got habits that are in place for 5 10 15 20 30 years plus in a culture and so that complacency thing is certainly there but then once you've identified it that we're going to address it the commitment to follow through on it and that's pretty darn tough. Yeah, yeah. It can't be a program of the month. It's got to be something that's long lived. So, uh, you know, I, I'm just thinking back, okay, how this started with the uh, uh, listeners' uh, comments and so forth. And, 
And what we've said in the last podcast is 2020 is going to be a different year. We've sold a lot of trucks. We've put a lot of units in operation out there, focused on fixed operations. Today, we talked about service. I'm sure we'll be talking about parts again soon. Okay, but know that, that service sells. Every dollar you produce in service is going to affect parts and sell more if that darn parts department has it in stock. Right, Keith? That's right. That's right. Yeah. The only other thing is these podcasts are so much more enjoyable and so much more interesting when we actually do get feedback. So we appreciate our listeners taking the time to, uh, you know, they, they're busy too. And uh, we appreciate taking the time to listen in. And, um, and we absolutely, even more than your time, appreciate the feedback uh, for future podcasts. Uh, these, are, these are all kind of driven by you. With that being said, gents, thanks again. Appreciate you guys being two wise guys. This is the third wise guy, and we're off. Thanks for listening to Three Wise Truck Guys, the podcast from Key Advisors. We'd love to hear from you. Send us feedback, comments, and questions to info at keyadvisors.com.